Al Jazeera podcast. Another court case for Donald Trump, the latest accusing him of fraud. The former US president says he's the victim of a witch hunt, but his mounting legal problems don't seem to be denting his popularity. So could these trials help or hinder Trump's presidential campaign? I'm Emily Angwin, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. In Washington, D.C. is Daniel Freeman, fellow at the Center for Congressional and Presidential Studies at the American University, Washington, D.C. He's written a book, The House Was My Home, My Life on Capitol Hill and Other Tales. In Philadelphia is Claire Finkelstein, faculty director at the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law at the University of Pennsylvania. And also in Washington, D.C. is Carrie Sheffield, conservative commentator and Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, a think tank. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Inside Story. There are certainly plenty of moving parts to this particular story, but before we get into the politics of it, I want to dig a little deeper into the specifics of this case. And, Daniel, I'll start with you. As we mentioned before, this is not a criminal case. This is a civil case. And so the former president isn't facing any jail time. So can you describe to us what the Attorney-General is hoping to achieve from this particular trial? Well, there are two sets of remedies that uh, the Attorney General is seeking. The first is a fairly substantial fine of $250 million. Uh, But more importantly, they are seeking to ban the Trumps, Donald Trump and his relatives, from the ability to do business in New York State, which is a, would be a huge blow to the Trump Organization and to the uh, financial settings involved. Uh, It does not affect his ability to run for president uh, or vote for himself. So it's mostly affecting his business. Now, of course, there are the other, uh, the criminal cases lurking in the background, which have a tremendous effect uh, on a lot of things in the election. And uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, I think the most important thing in this particular case is the ability to do business in New York State. Claire, what's at stake for Trump? What could this case cost him specifically? Uh, We're hearing figures of around $250 million potentially in a fine. What impact is that going to have on him? It's very hard to tell because, as he himself said yesterday, loudly and clearly, with each indictment, my popularity goes up. Now, I don't think that'll hold for a general election, but at the moment, that's how this has been playing to his base. Um, $250 million to a man like Donald Trump, it's very hard to tell what his actual wealth is like, but it may not feel like such a huge haircut to him. Um, I think it may cost him uh, politically because of the facts that come out. Um, And because of the coordination, of course, that's gone on between the Manhattan DA's office and the New York Attorney General, and that has been useful to both cases. But whether or not the verdict itself, uh, which, of course, already came down on what's called summary judgment last week, 
Now this trial is about the amount of damages. It's not clear whether or not the amount of damages is actually going to impact him. And Carrie, do you think it's likely that Trump will take the stand? And if he does, what impact will they will that have? And what's the, the strategy, do you think, of his legal team at this point for this particular case? Well, I, I think it was no accident that he showed up in the courtroom. Um, I don't believe he needed to be there. I think he went there because he did see that it does help him politically uh, the more the spotlight is shown on these trials. Um, and for the reason being is that there is the perception, even among Democrats, so among the entire country, there is the perception that these lawsuits are politically motivated. And so the more there is a sense of a political target, I think uh, the answer would be no if we were to ask, would this trial be happening if this man was running for president? We're not running for president. The answer is no. Um, and the fact that Letitia James, she explicitly, when she was running for her current role in 2018, she said on her victory party night, I will go after Donald Trump. So that is, you know, in my view, a miscarriage of justice. Justice is supposed to be blind. It's not supposed to be, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. And what's very interesting um, from the defendant's standpoint to your question on the legal strategy, they did point out and the judge did acknowledge in his ruling that the defendants correctly assert that the record is devoid of any evidence of default breach, late payment, or any complaint of harm. That is to say that um, even though, you know, I, I agree it is wrong to inflate assets. Um, he shouldn't be claiming square footage sizes that aren't accurate. Um, there was no evidence of any breach or late payment. So there was no substantive harm. Whether or not he received more favorable terms for his loans, then, you know, that gets into the question of the penalty, which might be deserved. Um, but in terms of banning someone from commerce in a state, I don't believe that punishment fits the crime. And again, it fits into this broader narrative of a political witch hunt. And I would disagree with my previous guest uh, just recently in terms of the general election. Um, these trials don't seem to be hurting him. In fact, ABC News just found that Donald Trump is edging out President Biden 51% to 42%. That's outside the margin of error. I want to break all of that down because there's a lot to uh, take in there. First of all, Daniel, do you think that this is a political witch hunt? I would not characterize it that way. I'd like to make a, a couple of points in response about whether or not Donald Trump will take the stand. Uh, I think that the chances of his lawyer asking him to do that are zero. I don't think you want to have a, a, a man who is known for just going off being on the stand under oath. That's a tremendous risk. Uh, now, the, the discussion about the valuations of his property, it's interesting, not included in this case are the fact that he overvalued the value of his properties for purposes of getting loans but he undervalued the same properties for purposes of income taxes. So that's not part of this case, but it is in the background. Uh, you have to, if we're talking about the rest of the criminal cases, uh, I was always told when I was in law school that you win or lose a case when you pick the jury. Jury selection in these cases is going to be extraordinarily difficult. It'll be hard to find anyone in the world who has not been living under a rock who doesn't know anything about these cases. Uh, I think, as far as ramifications are concerned, there are two. 
and they apply to all the other the criminal cases that are involved. If Donald Trump is convicted in any of these cases, the result will be a myriad of appeals, which will go on for a long time, as Donald Trump is a uh, serial litigator. And I think that the effect on his, his base, the MAGA group, will be just to support him even better. And mm -hmm. I think if he is acquitted, then he will say, I told you so. It was all a witch hunt, and his support will go up dramatically. So I think either way any of these three criminal cases goes, uh, I think it'll probably redound to the benefit of his election possibilities, uh, unless, of course, he's uh, sentenced to serve time in jail. And if that happens, that's not going to be for quite a while, maybe after the election. Claire, I want to get your reaction to what Goldmarker and Haberman wrote in the New York Times, and I quote, the sheer volume and variety of the legal developments obscures the individual cases and their fact patterns and plays into Trump's argument that his opponents are trying to take him down by whatever means they can. Your reaction? Yeah, I want to begin first by responding, and this is by way of a response as well to that quote, um, that this is a witch hunt and that Donald Trump would not be being pursued uh, by Letitia James uh, in this civil case if he were not the former president and if he were not running for office. I, I think that's entirely incorrect. I think it's very important to bear in mind the scope of the financial fraud that's alleged here. In fact, more than alleged, because summary judgment has already been granted. Um, when you are declaring the value of your property to be uh, 10 times or more for one purpose, for purpose of securing a loan, uh, what you are declaring it to be for purposes of taxes, or you are vastly inflating the amount of square footage for the same purpose, and that cries out for enforcement. That's what the attorney general is there for, to make sure that the state of New York is not being defrauded, to make sure that banks are not being defrauded. Uh, so I think this is an action that would have cried out for enforcement in any event. And let's remember that Cy Vance had wanted to bring this as a criminal case, had investigated uh, very carefully these financial frauds and almost brought a criminal case on the basis of these same facts. That, by the way, could still happen. Um, I want to agree with uh, Dan that there's no way that his attorneys will let him take the stand because, number one, of that possibility of the still at potential for a criminal case on these same facts, but because there were four other criminal cases out there where if Donald Trump commits perjury in this case, there could be a negative impact on those cases. Um, with regard to the quote, um, you know, I, I think that uh, Donald Trump will uh, ultimately, ultimately pay an enormous price for this kind of conduct. I still believe that the truth will out here. Uh, and we saw that in the case of the January 6th testimony of, of the uh, committee 
which during those hearings, the multiple hearings that took place summer before last, uh, there was an enormous shift in public opinion that when the evidence was really put before the public in a systematic case-by-case, uh, piece-by-piece -piece manner, public opinion did shift. I agree. There's a welter of, of, of cases out there, legal facts to keep straight. It's hard even for us legal commentators to keep track of all the developments. But certain facts stand out. And one of the things that Letitia James said yesterday, I think, is the the thing that comes across to people. She said, no matter how rich or powerful you are, there are not two sets of laws for people in this country. The rule of law must apply equally to everyone. And it is my responsibility to make sure that it does. I think that will come across to people. I had read, and this is according to his campaign, that one of Trump's highest days of fundraising came after the release of his mugshot. Carrie, my question to you is, how is... Trump able to galvanise and continue to galvanise such support amongst the American people? Well, as, as I said earlier, um, when uh, I mentioned that Trump would not be facing all this myriad range of charges were he not a politician, that's not just me saying that. That is a majority of the American people, both Democrats and Republicans. For example, a Quinnipiac poll found that 62% of Americans, that was a majority uh, of the American people, um, believe that the charges against Donald Trump on the DOJ case were politically motivated. Um, and you see similar polling for some of the other indictments as well. Again, there are too many uh, issues here popping up. It's like whack-a-mole. But there are numerous polling, and your viewers can check it out for themselves, whether what I'm saying is true or not. Um, but the data speaks for itself. So the majority of the American people believe what's happening here is politically motivated. And as such, that's part of why his followers are so loyal to him because they believe these attacks are politically motivated. There's also the fact that these cases are not occurring in isolation. There's a history uh, of unfair attacks against Donald Trump. For example, uh, the DOJ admitted that there was a forgery or a, an altering of an email, excuse me, um, for a FISA application in order to spy on the Trump campaign in the operation known as uh, Crossfire Hurricane. Um, that the, the That is a serious miscarriage of justice for the FBI itself to alter an email in order to obtain a FISA warrant. Right. That's a shocking um, display of a miscarriage of justice. You also have a, another example, dozens of um, supposed experts in the Intelligence Committee signing on to a letter saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was, quote, you know, you know, signature Russian disinformation. And then only years later for the New York Times and other media outlets to verify its veracity and then other data suggesting that it could have been determinative. Carrie, I'm just going to I'm just going to interrupt you there. And I and I appreciate um, I appreciate your response. I guess for an international audience, and we can kind of look at these individual cases, and we will be here for days and days, if not weeks. My question to you is, how or, or why is he so popular amongst the American public? When from an outsider's perspective, he seems so diametrically different. He is someone that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more. Uh, how, why is he so popular or galvanising support in the way that he has? 
Yeah, well, I, I think it's important for me to talk about specifics. That's why I am. But I understand to zoom out his popularity. Um, it, it speaks to this broader idea. If you hear over and over in focus groups, for example, that he's perceived as he's a fighter, that he fights for me. Um, there, there's a phrase for him called the blue collar billionaire, that even though he is very wealthy, he knows how to speak to the average man. Uh, and I, I have gotten to know the, the gentleman who was the lead organizer for unions for Trump, just to give you an example, or at workers for Trump. So, you know, labor union members or workers, blue collar workers for Trump. And he ran this in 2016 and 2024, Trump. And he said it was very interesting because he'd been in the labor movement for a long time. It was the first time he'd witnessed in his lifetime a Republican effectively able to speak directly to the workers themselves to the point where many workers would come into work with their construction hard hat on and a Trump sticker, even while the union leadership were endorsing the opponent, the Democrat. And he said it was this defiance that the workers were endorsing Trump because they like that he's a fighter. They feel that he is he is fighting uh, with, you know, with his arms tied behind his back against a system that is rigged um, and that he wants to unrig the system. Thank you, Carrie. Claire, I noticed that you had quite some strong reactions to that and Daniel as well. So just briefly, um, Claire, if you want to respond to Carrie. Yeah, I, I'd like to reject the premise of the question. I don't think he is so popular. Uh, he's popular among a certain base. But let's remember that he lost the 2020 election and not by a small margin. This was not a Bush v. Gore situation. He lost by basically a landslide. Uh, it was not close in any state. And he lost in some of his traditional um, base areas. Uh, and he lost to a, you know, septuagenarian. Um, so the fact that, you know, uh, I don't know what to think about current polling uh, for a potential general election, and I think it's far too early to put mm. any stock in what may emerge there. Um, but I, I think he's popular in a certain very narrow base. And uh, studies have shown that um, one of the things that, you know, appeals to uh, about Donald Trump uh, to those who do find him attractive is that those individuals are deeply in the grip of Fox News propaganda and um, an enormous amount of disinformation. Mm. So I think education is really uh, where this will lie and the, and the um, coming presidential campaigns will provide a fair amount of education. But I think the fact that he is very much the Republican front runner for the primaries does not really tell us anything about his overall popularity for the country. I think one thing that we can all agree on is the fact that he is dominating headlines. And, Daniel, if I can direct this question to you, do you think that is a hindrance uh, on the Republican campaign or is it a benefit for the Democrats? Well, I'd like to go back to the characterization of what Donald Trump is accused of as his personal foibles. They're not personal foibles. These are criminal activities, many of which... All of us have seen on tape, including the, the phone call to the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia and the moving of the documents. These are federal crime, uh, state and federal crimes. And if they are proven beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, I think that there's a serious problem for Donald Trump 
in his campaign. I do believe that there will be some reaction that they will say that they were out to get him and they got him. However, if you prove to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt the facts that most of us have been able to see ourselves, including the January 6th events, I think diminishing the severity of those charges as personal foibles is irresponsible and not appropriate. Thank you for that comment. Claire, this particular case aside, there are several other court cases, both state and federal based, which haven't begun. What should we be looking out for? And will any of these particular trials mean that Donald Trump can't run in the upcoming election? Okay, so there are two state and two federal criminal indictments. And the main thing to look out for is what is the timing of those trials. Um, in Georgia, uh, the, that's a very, very complex trial, uh, as your audience probably knows, with 19 co-defendants. That's going to take a while to get through, but it looks as though there's an attempt to fast-track that trial, uh, and we may actually see Donald Trump in a courtroom uh, in that case uh, sometime in the spring. Uh, the federal indictment for January 6th, we may also see that one moving pretty quickly. It looks as though the New York criminal trial that has to do with Storm, Stormy Daniels and the hush money payments, uh, those are, that one is going to take uh, a little bit longer. And then, of course, there's the Mar-a-Lago and the documents case. Um, so, it's a lot, right? It's a full-time job. Uh, Donald Trump has a full-time job just to keep up with these trials as a defendant. To see him also running for office is going to be very complex. None of these charges would preclude him, if proven, uh, if he were proven uh, guilty of them, from actually becoming president. Uh, the way that a charge of insurrection would under the Constitution, under the 14th Amendment, Section 3. But it would be a pretty heavy lift. And we could have the amazing and unprecedented spectacle of someone who had been elected president potentially mm. serving in prison for a very, very long time for his entire presidency and some, or more likely, if he were to win the election, these trials would still be going on. Now, Claire, what would happen then is a, a very important question. I'll just give the final question quickly to Kerry, and that being, is it true that being accused of wrongdoing is actually politically beneficial? Uh, for, for Trump, it is. Again, because there is this massive perception. Again, it's not my word. It's what the American people believe. And on the documents case, um, again, this is 62% of the people, according to Quinnipiac, which is not a conservative polling outlet, said that this is politically motivated. And to the point, what I was saying about personal foibles, I was making the distinction between the fact that Donald Trump, the man versus the worldview of conservative versus progressive policy, that is what will actually be on the ballot. So whether it's Trump or somebody else, tens of millions of people will vote for Donald Trump because they don't like Bidenomics. They don't like the fact that Joe Biden has caused an effective $6,000 pay cut, median pay cut per household. Mm -hmm. And then as to misinformation, when you have ten, dozens of supposed experts lying about something being signature Russian misinformation, it really begs the question of who's defining misinformation. And so I reject my co-panelists 
uh, claim that 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 Trump voters are in the throes of misinformation when the folks themselves who define it are the ones who are lying to us. Well, this is certainly a complicated topic. There are plenty of moving parts and we appreciate all of your insights and we do have to wrap it up there. But no doubt this will be something that we touch on in the weeks and months to come ahead of the 2024 election. Thank you so much to all of our guests. We have Daniel Freeman, Claire Finkelstein and Carrie Sheffield. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Umi Kulsum Sharif, Fungi Nguyen and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Haseeb Hashmi. The program was edited by Ahmed Etfaga Zana Beda and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Wednesday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, record numbers of people are coming up through Central America to seek asylum in the United States. What's behind the latest increase? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.